A reading from Psalm 91. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you say, the Lord is my refuge, and you make the Most High your dwelling, no harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. This is the word of the Lord. Hear the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for forty days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said. Throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise. Better? Hello. Hello. Excellent. Um, first off, let's pray, because let's face it, that's the most important thing we can do. Heavenly Father, um, just let your words flow this morning. Help each and every one of us grow in our knowledge and love with you. Give us ears to hear and hearts willing to receive what you want to say to each and every one of us. Your words, Lord Jesus. Amen. So, we've just come out of a period of celebrating some of the big milestones of Jesus' life. Christmas, his birth, um, his dedication in the temple, uh, the revelation at the age of 12 that God was his father, and of course his baptism, which Luke shares so powerfully at the end of chapter 3. And it culminates in the beautiful and powerful affirmation of God to his son. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. It's, it's beautiful. What an affirmation. And actually, um, I was praying, we were, the prayer ministry team were praying before the service started. 
and actually just got a real sense. God wants to say to every single one of us here, he loves you. He loves you. And there's someone particularly here that he just really wants to get. He loves you. 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 It's a total aside and not what is written down at all, but just at the beginning of the service, that's what we really felt God wanted to say to people. He loves you. He loves us. Just as he said to Jesus, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Anyway, before I start considering this passage, um, a couple of thoughts I wanted to share. Firstly, this is one of the most sacred and intimate stories that Luke has ever, write, ever writes about. It could only have been known if Jesus himself had shared it with his disciples. And it never occurred to me before. But what trust and love Jesus had to have had to share one of his absolute darkest times, which would then became so pivotal in his ministry. And what occurs to me is that we should follow his example. Often we've got dark times in our lives and we kind of wall well them up and we don't talk about it. But actually sharing, not with everybody, but with the people we trust, cl- people closest to us, and most of all, God, share those dark times. Because actually from it can come real growth, can come new life, can come beauty and light into those dark places. Secondly, Jesus is about to begin his campaign. His campaign to restore mankind to relationship with his heavenly father, to save humanity. This is no small task. The temptation story shows Jesus choosing once and for all the method by which he is going to um, propose to win men and women to God. And it shows him rejecting the ways of power. He's rejecting glory. He is accepting suffering. He is choosing the way that will ultimately end up with him dying on the cross. That journey begins here. And he knew what the end of the road would be and he chose it anyway. The temptation in the wilderness is him laying out what he is going to do and how he is going to do it. I was struck by several things when preparing for this. Um, And various commentaries talk about Jesus was fully man and therefore he was tempted because he was totally man and he was a human being. He wasn't superman. And I was always encouraged and comforted by that. He is fully man. But Jesus is also fully God. And I was really challenged by a particular commentary that Jesus must have known he had quite exceptional powers. He knew from an early age that God was his father when he was 12 in the temple and had that revelation. These temptations alone show us that Jesus is absolutely exceptional. Personally, I have never been tempted to turn bread into stone, um, stone into bread. Never, or even stone into chocolate, which would probably be my preference. It's never happened to me. Hands up, has anybody ever been tempted to turn bread? Stone into bread. No one. No one. The temptation alone shows how exceptional Jesus is. Why else would you tempt him with such a thing? These temptations could only have come to a man whose power was unique and who had decided that he was going to use them rather than burying them and continuing to work as a carpenter with Joseph. A little bit of context. I'm a good historian. I like to know where things happen. Um, Sorry for reference, I'm a history teacher. Um, so before looking at the temptations itself, I want to set the scene. Namely, the wilderness. Lots of people call it a desert or a wilderness. Bit of context. The inhabited part of Judea is stood on a kind of a plateau, which is raised up, which is kind of down the central bit of Palestine. And between it and the Dead Sea stretched a terrible wilderness. 35 miles by 15 miles... I'm sure that makes a big difference to you all, but hey, I thought I'd share it anyway. And it was known as Jeshimon, which means the devastation. 
So Jesus went for 40 days to a place called the Devastation. The hills were like dust heaps. The limestone looked like blistered, was blistered and peeling. The rocks were bare and jagged. The ground sounded hollow when horses to horses' hooves. It glowed with heat like a vast furnace and ran down to precipices with 1,200 feet drops down into the Dead Sea. This was an awesome devastation. And that's where Jesus went. And that's where Jesus was tempted. It was the darkest of places. It was the most uninhabitable of all places. When we're in those dark places, Jesus had been there. Jesus had been in the most hellish and awful places you could possibly imagine. Barclay describes Jesus' time of being tempted as him deliberately choosing to retire to this harsh and lonely environment for 40 days, which is about a month and a half, to wrestle with the problem of how to win people over. And it was a long battle which didn't finish in the devastation in the wilderness. It finished at the cross. So, the first temptation... We finally got there. After not eating for 40 days, I can't cope without chocolate for one day. So 40 days of absolutely no food is a mammoth task. So by the end, humanly speaking, he must have been hallucinating with hunger. The physical need for food must have been so great, you can understand why it was the devil's first temptation. Food. You haven't eaten, have some food. And this wilderness wasn't one of sand. It was covered with bits of limestone that have a striking similarity to loaves of bread. So you can understand why the enemy said, turn this stone into bread. But the enemy wasn't just offering Jesus bread, which is what I'd always previously thought. He's basically saying, if you want people to follow you, use your amazing powers to give them things, to give them material things. Go up to the hungry people and give them food, which Jesus does. But basically, the enemy was asking, suggesting that Jesus bribe people to follow him as his method of winning people over. And Jesus' oh, Jesus's response, so prompt, out of the park, knocked it out, Deuteronomy 8.11. Man does not live by bread alone. And actually, it shows the power of Scripture. Scripture is like, as Paul puts it in Ephesians, a giant sword. When you slice something with a giant, giant sword, it just crumples. And that's what Jesus used Scripture for. And it's just a reminder Learn scripture, use scripture. When we're tempted, when we're attacked by the enemy, if we come back with a sucker punch of scripture, the devil can't stand against it. He has nothing against it because scripture is so powerful, it's so homely. So if nothing else, learn scripture, learn passages, learn God's promises, his love for you. So when those thoughts and attacks come of, oh, you're not good enough, you can't do that, you're not whatever, you can come back and go, no, I am a chosen and loved child of God. Scripture, knock him out of the park. Anyway, so Jesus does that. Um, I've totally lost my place. So Jesus says you cannot live on bread alone. In other way, you cannot find life, true life, fulfilling, complete, joyous, amazing, life-fulfilling, peaceful, joyous life in stuff. Stuff, not even bread, not even chocolate, will give you true and fulfilling life. And that's a real challenge. We're in the middle of buying a house and we like stuff and we, we spend a lot, I spend, I, sorry Colin, spend a lot of time on Amazon looking for stuff and buying stuff. And actually it's not going to give me fulfilment. Only God, only Jesus can meet our needs to give us that true love, that purpose and that fulfilment that our hearts desire above all else. Jesus made it very clear that fulfilment can only come from being in relationship with God. 
Not with bread or anything else. None of that can meet our needs, only in God. The second temptation, Jesus stands on the top of a mountain from which the whole world can be seen. And the devil said, worship me, all this will be yours, all of it. A little aside, Jesus, before he was born, was the prince of heaven. The angels worshipped the whole of heaven, bowed down to Jesus because he is the son of God, because he is worthy. He is worthy of all glory and praise. And he has come to restore us to relationship with God. And what the devil was really offering was compromise. If you compromise, bow down to me, everyone will worship you. Everyone will adore you, as it should be. You know that. Just, just a little compromise, bow to me first, and you sort it. Easy. The devil has, since the time of Adam, and Luke's very clever by actually at the beginning of his book um, taking Jesus' genealogy all the way back to Adam. Adam was the first person who was tempted. Adam and Eve, apple, garden. Since then, sin came into the world. Since then, the de- devil has been able to twist and control people up to the time of Jesus. And Jesus is the first person with whom it stopped. So, in home group just on Thursday night, we were talking about the devil being the prince of the earth. And he was. He had control of the earth. It was sort of his to offer, but it wasn't because it's God's but tangent. Um, yeah, so the devil suggests Jesus strikes a deal. He suggests he doesn't set his standards too high, little believer, and people will follow him. And Jesus, once again, lines it up, sucker punch, scripture out of the park. Only God is ever to be worshipped. Only God is worthy of praise. Only him should our lives revolve around. There can be no compromise. There can be no compromise on the war with evil. And so it is today. It's a constant temptation to compromise in our lives. Well, I'll just do this. Or I'll do that and then I'll do this. Or I'll tell people the good bit of the good, easy bits of the Jesus and the, and the lovely bits, but I won't mention the hard bits. Or um, I'm sure, like me, you instantly, when you think of compromises, loads of examples start popping into your head. Well, certainly they do for me because I'm, yes. Um, and... Jesus is saying no compromise. But actually, something that's really important is God is completely forgiving. He is not a God of guilt. He is not a God of condemnation. So all those thoughts that are popping in your head that things that might have happened in the past where you might have not done things the right way, Jesus says when you come to him and ask for forgiveness, they're washed away. It's like a beach where you build sandcastles and you dig trenches and you write stuff and you do sand angels and whatnot. When the high tide comes, washes away, it's gone. As it is with our sin, God forgives us every single time when we come to him. And it's not coming back. Those sandcastles don't rematerialize in the sand after the high tide. They are gone and they are dealt with. And that's what Jesus is. He washes our sin completely clean. But the challenge is still there. And it's a challenge from here onwards. Not a challenge for the past, but from here onwards. Don't compromise. Jesus alone deserves all praise and honor and glory. He didn't compromise. He took the harder road. But he knew that in the long run, the harder road that would end in the cross would result in victory. Victory over the enemy so he has no comeback. Third temptation. Jesus sees himself at the top of the pinnacle of the temple, which is a 350-foot drop down into the Kidron Valley. And the devil tempts him to do something sensational. Do something so everyone will be really impressed. They'll go, whoa, you're amazing. We'll follow you. And Jesus, once again, scripture, Deuteronomy 6, 16. 
Don't test the Lord your God. Don't make senseless experiments with the power of God. Jesus knew that a sensational action would cause amazement in the short term, but sensationalism never lasts. He would look amazing for a little bit, but people would forget. And so often that's the case in our lives. Pride and ego, I'll do this and everyone think I'm awesome. And then actually it doesn't matter. Jesus chose the road of suffering. He chose the road of servant loving people day in, day out, washing their feet, meeting them where they were at. He chose the road of servant-hearted love, not a dramatic moment of dazzlement. His temptations in the place of devastation brought mankind full circle. From Adam in the Garden of Eden, Jesus stood and was tempted in the same way by the devil, and he resisted. He stood strong. Jesus begins his ministry here, and the devil will not and has not been able to stand against him. He has lost. But here's the thing. In the Second World War, the D-Day landings, once the D-Day landings were successful... The Nazis had lost. It was pretty much a done deal. But they kept fighting for another year. The devil's the same. He lost. The moment Jesus died on the cross and rose again, the devil lost. But he keeps fighting. We keep getting tempted. We keep getting attacked. But we have to stand firm in the victory. Jesus has won. In us, in him, he has won. And that victory is complete. Jesus' strength lives in each of us. When we welcome in the Holy Spirit... And it says at the end of the passage that Jesus went out filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, when we welcome it in, lives in us. The strength and the power of Jesus, that love lives in us. We can resist all temptation because the strength that Jesus had in the desert is in us. And actually, we can learn to use scripture as a weapon. And I must admit, it is so effective to just keep coming back with no and the truth. By the power of the Holy Spirit living in us, the devil cannot stand against us. So let's invite him in. If you've never done this before, or you want to redo it, or you want another dose, go to the prayer ministry team afterwards. They'll be there. Um, Get prayed for. Because actually there is nothing more powerful. If you're struggling with stuff, if you're feeling under attack, ask the Holy Spirit in. He will give you the strength every single time to stand against him. In the wilderness, Jesus chose the hard path and suffering which led to the cross. But after the cross, the crown, the crown of victory, the crown, oh, and that's what's in store for us. The road may not be easy, but ultimately, when we get to heaven, it's going to be amazing. No more tears, no more pain, no more hurt, just joy and love and just being with Jesus. And actually, even on the journey there, Jesus promises us life and true life and full lives to completion. Love beyond our wildest imaginings. Pure peace and complete joy is what Jesus promises us every single day. And that's what I want. So if you want to choose this path, if you want to walk with Jesus and resist the temptations and just head towards the glory, pray, ask him, do business with God. Let's pray. Heavenly Daddy, we just ask that you will fill each of us with your Holy Spirit, that you will take each of us deeper with you so that we can be more fully alive in you and in your love. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Amen.